Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. I'm joined by Tom Nixon. Hey, Tom, what's going on? Oh, you know, just uh, thinking about podcasting, which we could bring in a guest to talk about podcasting, you know me, and podcasting. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, we're doing, uh, I think, as we've kind of gotten ramped back up with the podcast, Tom, it, the the guest theme so far is uh, now alumni, you know, some of our greatest hits from from our, you know, distant past. And so we've got a, a favorite, uh, certainly a favorite guest of ours, and I think of our, our listeners as well. Um, and anyone who's on LinkedIn or Twitter, knows Jonah Perlin well uh, on in the hashtag law Twitter space. So uh, Jonah, uh, for those who don't know him, he is a Georgetown law professor. He is the host of the How I Lawyer podcast, and we're thrilled to have you on the show, Jonah. So glad to be back spending time with you guys and uh, just so glad the podcast is back so that we get a chance to uh, chat. You know, the alumni has been meeting without you guys. It's nice that uh, that we can yeah. finally get back on the show. Yeah, I know. I feel like everybody's been talking about us. They're like, oh, those guys, those of you who have plowed forward and um talking about it, the the pod fading that we've uh, that we experienced. But yeah, we're back. Uh things are things are rolling and we're we're happy to be here and happy to have you join us. Um so I guess, you know, we 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 can take this conversation in many different directions, but sure. I thought, you know, the the most probably poignant, timely and and relevant thing to to talk about and the thing frankly I'm most interested in digging in on is your podcast as I mentioned How I Lawyer. Um I've been on the show, uh it's a it's a great podcast and you hit a significant milestone recently which is 100 episodes. So um let's just start with with that. I mean, sure. I guess if you were to if you were to go back like maybe just revisit how you got this started and then sure. you know the talk to us a little bit about the journey. Yeah, I mean, journey's the right word for it. Uh you know, I think creative projects start from interesting moments and so I think I kind of need to set the scene for starting this podcast, which is I'm a uh, sort of former practicing litigator turned full-time legal practice, legal writing professor at Georgetown, my alma mater. We have a pandemic, as you know. Uh, I had two small children. We're six months, six months-ish into that pandemic. I am living temporarily in my parents' house to get help with childcare while I teach online. And I decide that I need two things. I need a creative outlet that is not my day job, but connected to what I'm interested in, which lucky for me is my day job. And two, I have this great network of people who do really cool things. And I decide kind of on a whim, I'm going to start a podcast. At that point, I did not have a microphone. I was not a particularly podcast heavy listener. It wasn't like my preferred medium. I was more of a Twitter YouTube guy. And I just announced it on Twitter. Like I went on Canva, I made a like a logo myself and I just announced it like at the end of the year. It was like sort of right before Christmas. And then I said, oh, and by the way, I'm starting a podcast and I'm going to do 50 episodes in 2021. 
That was absolutely crazy. Like, what was <laughs> I thinking that I did this? But I kept hearing from my students and from people online that the world had changed so fundamentally and they had lost that ability to have sort of soft touch mentors, one-time mentors, one-time experiences, one-time learning opportunities. And I just kept hearing it. And I was like, we can do that. Like the internet can change that. Um, and so I figured we'll try it and we'll see what happens. And I'm a big believer. If you don't set audacious goals, like you can't achieve audacious things. And so I set an audacious goal. I hit 50. I was exhausted after year one. Thankfully, uh, the biggest change, and this is one of those things if people are listening and like, I want to start a podcast. The hardest thing, at least for me, was finding time to do all the editing work that I was doing. And I was doing a very light edit to my podcast, but that still added hours and hours to this unpaid side hustle. And I found an editor for year two and I was just short of, I think I had like 45, 46 more episodes in year two. And we recently had a hundred episodes uh, and 150,000 downloads last week. Um, which again, like I never thought that that was going to be the case. But at the same time, I think I had the confidence that if it worked, it would work really well. And I'm just grateful that I've been able to tell a bunch of people's stories. And I get emails, guys, I'm telling you, I get them every single week from people saying, I listened to X episode or I listened to these episodes and it fundamentally changed my career path because... And that's just because I keep putting content out there. And I don't expect anybody to listen to all of it. I mean, I don't I don't think my parents listen to all of them. I don't think my wife listens to every episode. I have some very dedicated listeners who I think do listen to every episode, but I'm slowly week by week, month by month, now year by year creating a library of content that I hope provides some value to the world. And the cool part is, as you guys know, it's going out there for free. And so it's it's really an incredible project to be a part of. Yeah. I want to ask you, do you mind if Jay if I just ask real yeah, quick? Yeah, no, go ahead. Um, yeah. How you measure success, and before you jump in and answer that, I want to couch it in the way of what you said at the beginning, which this is going to be a long-term thing. I often advise clients for whom I think it makes sense that maybe a podcast is a great way to achieve some objective. Um, and the initial question, if there's kind of like pushback, it's like, well, does that really work? And I feel like the person who says um, – Hey, I started a new exercise routine this week. And then if somebody said, well, did it work? Right. It's like, well, yeah. what did you think that one thing was going to do? So um, how do you measure whether or not you actually use this word? I didn't know if it would work. Has it worked? And to what mm -hmm. end? And how, how do you measure it? Is it just the downloads or, or other ways? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, from my perspective, I measured it for year one by did I put out 50 episodes? Because I made the decision after sort of doing some reading and thinking in the sort of creator space, which was just more of a hobby to sort of follow along, mm -hmm. that you can't judge a project like this, especially because podcasting has horrible discovery. Like it's there's lots of amazing parts about it, but it's very hard to like connect audience and content. I said if I do 50 of these, that's success. Full stop. That was my full goal was I'm going to do 50 and then reassess what is success. Year two, and now we're into year three for me, success is, am I making a difference in people's lives by telling lawyer stories? And the second that I stop thinking that that's happening, then I need to think about what the next endeavor is going to be. Um, downloads, 
are a helpful metric to see, am I hitting a large enough denominator of people that success is more likely? Downloads tells me that it's worth it to keep going because it means people are finding it. But downloads isn't the goal. That's just a like really rough way of, of, of calculating it. That's how I think about it. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I was thinking about this the other day, and I think what what we're getting at here with this is probably one of the most important criteria or traits for someone who is looking to do, you know, create a platform, create something that is going to have some lasting impact. Um, yeah. And something where you have to earn attention, right? As opposed to buy it um, or take some sort of shortcut that oftentimes people are looking for. And so in that sense, the trait is the ability to delay gratification um, because that I think is what gets people derailed from most valuable marketing initiatives um, because they they are waiting, they're, they're expecting, you know, the, the result, the outcome that they're seeking too quickly. Um, so yeah, I think that's really important to think in those terms, which I think is what you're describing, Jonah, which is, you know, the the leading indicator is is the action, the consistency, like the effort. Um, the the lagging indicator is whatever the you know ultimate outcome you're looking for is. And and you have to just hang on long enough to let you know some of that compounding take effect, right? I mean, I would imagine if you had 150,000 uh, downloads this year, you know that'll that'll double next year, and then it'll probably uh, triple or more, and then that that'll really start kicking in. And it's those who can sustain over long periods of time who win. Um, I mean, I think about that in terms of my like my LinkedIn content, where it's, ah, it's been about I don't know three and a half years now of consistent posting, like almost daily posting, and I think in 2020, I had like a million impressions on my content. Then it was 2 million in 2021. And then it was 10 million in 2022. Um, So that you just see like, oh, okay, you can, you can see the compounding and, and where that really starts to dial in because you start to also have a real clear understanding of what your audience wants as well. Um, So that all of that is to say, I think, you know, you're certainly looking at it the right way. Um, Not that you need my (laughs) <laughs> opinion or affirmation on that. But there is a question I do want to ask after that long tangent, um, which is, uh, or, or something I want you to comment on, which is, you know, you did, you set an audacious goal um, to like put out 50 episodes. And I think that was a big contributor to your success. But um, I think, you know, what, one thing that really impressed me was you were also audacious in like tracking down and, and asking people to come on your show too. Like you had a lot of, you've had a lot of high profile people within the legal community come on your show. People that I'm just curious to have you describe, like, did you think that you were punching above your weight a bit? Was it the, just having the podcast itself that people found impressive? Like what, what explains some of that success in terms of guest acquisition? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll just, before I dive in on that, I'll just comment Mm -hmm. briefly on the tangent, Jay, which is that idea of like delayed gratification. Like, I think that if I'm learning anything at this point in my life, it's that that is sort of the leading indicator for success is the ability to actually do something where you can't see it because so little I find, and like I teach legal writing, which is really a creative enterprise, albeit in a sort of uh, strict format or uh, technical format. And I see this with my students too. They want to see progress week to week, day to day, assignment to assignment. And often there is no progress for Mm -hmm. several weeks in a row 
But if you didn't put those weeks in a row, then that moment where they have that breakthrough doesn't happen. Yeah. The same is true with finding guests. Well, can I pause you one real, yeah, sure. real quick, Jonah, there? I just want to say for everyone, uh, for the three of us on this call, I already have a LinkedIn post drafted about delayed gratification. So I'm, <laughs> claim, I'm claiming that copyright immediately. Okay. I just wanted to say that was the point I was trying to make Jonah about the exercise <laughs> thing, right? It's the yeah. first day doesn't do anything. Right. In the thousandth day doesn't do a hundred percent it's the accumulation yeah. of all thousand days put together so totally yeah. you don't yeah. know what you don't know what's gonna land and so you just have to keep doing it and keep growing and there's great research specifically in sort of like the law student junior lawyer world of this idea it's not just of delayed gratification but also finding um, intrinsic value in things as opposed to looking for extrinsic value or value from other people and it's like I set a goal that was totally dependent on whether I could hit it, right? It wasn't about how many listeners or what did specific listeners say to me. It was like, I set a goal that I was the only one who knew if I was going to hit it or not. And the only way to get to 50 was to show up every week or almost every week and do it. Yeah. All right. Can I, should I go back to Jay's question you, about yeah, punching yeah, above yeah, my you weight? Can, you can, you can. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So, you know, I will say this. I also think that you might be listening to this and saying like, I should start a podcast. And there's like this great meme going around the internet. And I think it's always going around the internet that like anybody can start a podcast, which means everyone should start a podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. I What I do think is people should find the things that they are good at and have unique uh, value propositions in the world. And like, actually like look in the mirror and be like, what are the things that people ask me about? And when I looked in the mirror, when I was thinking about starting the podcast, one of the things that people asked me about was about law and legal education and legal careers. The other thing they asked me about was asking me to connect people in my network. I am lucky enough to have done a lot of really amazing, cool things and have built a community here in DC of amazing lawyers and friends and law school classmates. And I was able to sort of use them as my guinea pigs and as sort of the first level connectors to connect to other people. Plus a year and a half before I started the podcast, I started getting active on Twitter. And so all of my first few guests were people I had never met in person. Some of them I've still never met in person, but I met through Twitter. And so what I was able to do was ask them to come on. And frankly, that helped me get discovered by other people who wanted to hear the podcast because then they put it out. I like to say the best ad for my podcast is each week I'm exposed to somebody else's network of potential listeners. And so, yes, I was punching above my weight, but one, I was using my established networks and I give a lot to my networks. And in return, people tend to give me and say, oh yeah, I'll connect you to so-and-so. And the second thing was I expanded my networks drastically in a time where we were all stuck in the four walls of our house. Um, so that's sort of how I did it. In terms of like getting big name guests, like my podcast is not about getting only people who are like at the top of the mountain, right? Who have already sort of like done it. That said, I do think talking to those people is a really fascinating experience and lawyers tend to want to talk about themselves. And if you tell them you're going to ask them questions for 45 minutes or an hour and let them talk about themselves, more people will say yes than you think. 
And especially if you can include some social proof. So if I get one, right. So when I got, uh, I interviewed John Quinn last year, right. Mm-hmm. Founder Quinn Emanuel, one of the most sort of important American lawyers today. I had no pre-established connection to him, but I could say, well, I've also spoken to uh, this big partner that, you know, this big partner that, you know, you know, former Senator Russ Feingold, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then now when I'm pitching other people of that stature, it's like, and I interviewed John Quinn. So it, it is, even that is a cast has a big effect. The danger I think is then you're like, oh, I only want to interview people who have big followings or famous. I feel like because I interview some of those people that I can also interview people that I think are just have interesting, unique stories and maybe just one or two steps ahead of my average listener. And some of those episodes, frankly, are the most helpful in my view. Um, and so it's a trade-off of building that list. And now, right, I can just keep building the list week to week. I can't tell my list of potential guests, people volunteering on a regular basis is really long. And I'm lucky I get to interview almost anybody that I want to. Um, so I'm just gonna keep doing it until someone someone tells me to stop or the the signals tell me to stop. If you look back at the first 100 episodes, so whether it's somebody famous or just high profile or somebody that none of us know, are there moments or takeaways or episodes or guests that stand out? as like some of your favorite. Wow. That's like asking me to choose among my children, but I have a hundred instead of only the two that I have in my house. <laughs> I was going to say you have a hundred children. Whoa. No, no. My, my brother has five kids under 11. That's close enough. As oh, close as I'll ever is. get to that. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I have, I have episodes that stand out for particular reasons. And as and I'll say, they're usually people that are not the most listened to, frankly. They're not the most famous. They may not have the biggest following. Um, you know, pretty recently I interviewed uh this guy, John Grant. And John Grant is a basically a process coach for law firms and lawyers which sounds like not a very exciting podcast story to listen to but we we could have gone on for 5 hours geeking out about how to be happy and fulfilled by being more precise about what we do every day right mm-hmm. i don't think a lot of people have listened i mean i'm sure it's got good listens but it's certainly not going to be john quinn level listens i interviewed uh, a guy named vivek jayaram who I had never met before was passed on to me by somebody else. He is literally the most creative lawyer I have ever talked to or met in my entire life. He Mm -hmm. runs a law firm, which has its own tagline, which I think I'm going to mess it up, but it's basically like uh, lawyers for creative people or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he like works with web three NFT creators and shoe designers and has an office in Chicago and an office in Miami. And like, has totally, he has an artist in residence in his firm. Every quarter they send me a broadsheet, like old school magazine that his firm puts out. Like these are incredibly creative, thoughtful, interesting people who take this ridiculous stereotype that lawyers are boring and not creative and throws it out the window. Um, If you go way back, I interviewed a guy named Bob Tembekjian, who is the head of judicial ethics for the entire state of New York. Bob has been in the same office for 42 years. He started as like a paralegal runner, basically bringing papers places while he was in law school and night school, worked his way to be the head of the office and frankly is kind of the dean of all judicial ethics officers in the entire United States. 
I get to tell these people's stories like every single day. It is so fun, so interesting. And like I could pick any number of other episodes, like Jay's, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. That goes without saying. Um, so what how do you do you do you have a process, Jonah? This is more just inside baseball sure. for other podcasters, maybe, but I think it has broader application. But how do you have a sense? Do you have a sense? Do you have a process do, uh, in terms of knowing whether someone's gonna you know be be able to communicate in this format well? You know, I mean, that's the thing that sometimes concerns me, frankly, is um, I don't know. Someone might have impressive credentials, but they might be a terrible podcast guest. Um, they just not are, won't open up. Yeah. Um, they're not going to tell stories. Whatever. They're just not comfortable in the format. Do you? Do you have any way to screen for that at all? Or, or are you just kind of going out? You just, I don't know. I'm just interested in whatever. Yeah, I mean, to use, to use the legal term, I assume that risk. Like, I think I find people who are going to have interesting stories, but I'm not always correct. Mm-hmm. Also, some of the episodes that I finish feeling like I haven't learned that much turn out to be very helpful to other people. It just turns out that that particular person wasn't that helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I got over really quickly was the idea that like every episode had to be perfect for every potential listener. Yeah. And instead, like I just take that risk and I recognize podcasting is great. It's just like any other piece of content. If you don't like it, turn it off and listen to something else. Like yeah. I'm very lucky. I think, I mean, I, I didn't check recently, but I think I'm up to like 120 exclusively five-star reviews from people. I don't even know on iTunes, which is crazy, mm-hmm. but that's not because everyone likes every single episode right? Like I have episodes where I have people who have strong political views, right? Where that people by definition, some group of people is going to disagree with. I have people from the right and the people from the left, people representing big business, people representing, uh, you know, individual civil rights plaintiffs. But at the same time, I'm just trying to tell enough stories that ultimately some will land for some group of people. Yeah. I think that, I think it was Tim Ferriss who I remember this is years ago. He probably has said it since then, but how he talked about whether it be a blog post or a podcast episode, he's making it for like 10% of his audience because exactly it's, you know, it, if it's too general, it's not, no one's going to care. Right. It's, it's like not everything's for everyone, but that's how you grow an audience. And it has to have some sort of thread, right. Um, that runs through them, but not everything should be for everyone. Certainly. Um, yeah, no, that all, that all makes sense to me, Tom, any, uh, I'll, I'll toss it back to you. Well, I, I was just going to maybe shift gears if you guys don't mind, sure, but please. we'll use the podcast as a segue because numerous times today, Jonah, you said that part of the reason you wanted to do this was to, in how you measure success is to help somebody, mm-hmm. help another attorney um, advance their career, whatever. And so there's obviously this huge mentorship component to not only the podcast, but what you do. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how is the podcast an extension of your mentorship and why are you so dedicated to the act of mentoring? Yeah. I mean, I I, I'll answer the, the second question first, which is that, and I've said this before publicly and I really believe it. Like law is a profession of passed down wisdom, right? Traditionally lawyers were trained by watching other lawyers do their job. And as we've moved into the new age of professionalization and big law firms and silos, some of that was lost. A lot more was lost during a pandemic when we couldn't see each other and go to conferences and do all of those things. Uh, It's even more important 
in a world where my law school classroom that I teach in every single week looks really different than the law school classroom I was in 15 years ago. We are bringing in first-generation college students, first-generation law students, people from diverse backgrounds, and it's making the law better, but they don't necessarily have the same established networks that were assumed 15, 20, 50 years ago. So I, I believe fundamentally that lawyers change the world and lawyers are a huge part of sort of civil society. I also believe that we need to make lawyers look like that society to make the best of the profession we can. And we have to fill in those gaps of sort of like the unspoken curricula that are out there. And mentorship's the only way to do that. So I think mentorship was really important forever in lawyers. I think it's super important today. The podcast is a way to do permissionless mentorship. Right. It used to be a mentorship relationship required you forming a relationship with another human being. And instead, I think I'm, I hope that like when people are listening to my podcast, walking the dog, which they didn't have to pay for and just showed up on their smartphone, that they're getting some of the value of mentorship. I'm also working to create deeper, richer, thicker ties. But the podcast is a way to get like permissionless, quick hit mentorship on a regular basis. It's, it's, it's the most important thing. And if you're not trying to produce value for the world, like what are you doing? Like, even if I disagree with the value that you think you're producing, that should at least be your North star. At least that's my North star. Yeah. Well, yeah. mentorship okay. is one of the most selfless things I think someone could do. So I applaud you for it. Um, Plus you and- gain so much from it. Like, yeah. I think that's the part that people forget is often people think of mentorship as like a one-way valve that only gives value to the mentee. And anybody who's actually spent time with a mentee recognizes that you grow. It's just like interviewing somebody on a podcast. Like I'm getting value from them just as much as I'm giving them value by putting their story out in the world. It's, it's, it is, it's just incredible what mentorship can be. Yeah. What, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges um, to effective mentorship in like a law firm setting, Jonah? I mean, I can certainly name a few and I bet it's changed. I, I, I shouldn't use my own example, like as a mentee, because that was decades ago right now. So it's not, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I suspect there's some aspects of that that are still the same where it's like, you get a, you know, you get a mentor assigned to you. Um, it's some, you know, senior partner, they take you to lunch, like once a quarter, <laughs> you know, they tell war yeah. stories and it's not, that's not what we're really talking about here. I don't think, but um, I mean, I, you know, the way I think about it, it's like you know, modern day mentorship, you probably, you need people at different levels of experience. Like if you're a, you know, a first or second year lawyer, it's not just having a senior partner as your mentor. It's like, you've, and you've got to go out and proactively like cultivate that network. And then I think what you're alluding to is uh, as well is that, um, you know, it's a two-way street, right? You need to learn how to become a good mentee and you need to learn how to become a good mentor. And you just can't take those things for granted. It's like any form of leadership. It's a skill and it's luckily it's a skill that anyone can develop, but, but just talk a little bit about maybe what you see as some of the shortcomings, challenges, and maybe some paths to overcoming those things. Yeah, I mean, I'm be curious to hear what you guys think as well. I mean, from my perspective, there's there's challenges for the mentors and there's challenges for the mentees. I think the challenge for the mentee today is in some way any like the world is your oyster, right? Because of email and websites and everything else, like you can go out and email basically any lawyer in the world 
at any time. They may or may not respond, but like the fact that you can do that is a pretty big deal in finding mentors. At the same time, the fact that the denominator is sort of infinite makes it really harder to hard to figure out who your mentor is going to be and how to start that relationship without those pre-established communities. I mean, what I'm seeing among my students is people tell them, get a mentor, network, do all these things. And they're like, okay, I'm open, I'm ready. But mm-hmm. like, but like I can't call my grandfather to like tell me who he met on the golf course who's gonna mentor me. And so it's, as a mentee, I think the challenge is finding the right people and being in the right spaces. And what I encourage people to do is really to think, don't just try to find the most famous person. Like if you want to be like, I don't know, like pick an example, like a music lawyer, like don't go find the person who is the number one music lawyer and charges $2,000 an hour. They're not going to be able to provide you the best mentorship. Like go out and find the person who's one step or two steps ahead of where you are because they might have the bandwidth to mentor you. And frankly, their advice is going to be a lot more helpful because they just went through it. Look for people who are connected to you in ways you couldn't think about. Maybe it's geographic. Maybe it's your law school. Maybe it's your undergrad. Maybe it's your high school. Like Who knows? But we live in a world of information. So that information is out there. It just takes a little more research. On the mentor side, I think everybody sort of thinks, oh, I'll just talk about my myself. Like that's not good mentorship. Like people want to hear about your life, but they want to hear the stories and the advice that is connected to what they need. So what I tell mentors when I can is ask questions. Like tell your story, tell your war stories, but only if they're in response to something that somebody answered when you said, Oh, what are you interested in doing? Where are you going? And it also is modeling how to ask questions of the mentor, right? So by asking questions, you're modeling how to ask questions of your mentee. Um, And I think too many mentors don't do that. I think too many mentors try to say, here's how I did it. Therefore, you should do the same thing. The last thing I'll say is, and this works both mentor and mentee on this point, is I don't think you should think about getting a mentor. I think you should get a Think about getting a board of directors. I didn't come up with this. Others have said this because you have to triage advice. Like if I just went to you, Jay, and got advice or you, Tom, and got advice on how to start a podcast, I would get a very narrow view of the world of the possible. And frankly, like maybe I don't want to do that, but it's a helpful data point that allows me to sort of triangulate. Um, and so it's not enough to have one mentor. And frankly, I think for more senior lawyers, it's not enough to have one mentee. I would like yeah. to run something by you, Julie, and get your perspective too, Julie, yeah. uh, because I know you're a coach and, um, there was something I used to, um, mentor entrepreneurs and small businesses through a, a nonprofit called score, which has chapters all over the country. Um, but when I'd work with a mentee, I would tell them my job, and this is what I want you to check my work on. Tell me if I'm doing it wrong. But yeah. I, I would say my job isn't to tell you what to do. My job is to tell you what to consider so that you can decide what to do. So 100%. Yes. yes, 100%. 100%. And if you're not talking to the right people, that's not going to be helpful data. But if you are, you're absolutely right. It's It's telling you about the world of the possible right? A good mentor doesn't try to make you like them. A good mentor tries to make you the best version of yourself. And the great part is there's lots of ways to find mentors. I, you know, I didn't even mention it. Like I'm on the board of this great new organization that Brian Potts founded the legal mentor network, which is trying to make that, that sort of that happen 
just by simply filling out an internet form. And so I totally agree with you, Tom, like your job as a mentor, I love that framing. I'm going to use that framing, right. Is to tell you what to consider because that's the level like expertise is sort of like wisdom, right? It's the idea that you need to know what I'm thinking, but you have to own that ultimate decision. Yeah. And it's another way of saying really, you know, fundamentally to ask more questions, you know, you can ask yeah. the mentee, well, what have you tried so far? And they can say, well, I'm kind of stuck. I haven't tried anything. Well, what have, you, what have you thought about? You know, so you're asking questions and you're not saying, well, yeah, I've been there before. What you do is you open up a piece of paper. Right. You know, it's, it's simple. Then they haven't learned anything. Right. It's Jam- like the best, it's like the best teachers also, right? The best teachers don't just tell you what to do. They teach you a process of how to do it because you're going to face a slightly different problem. And they're giving the tools to handle that. I, I mean, I think it makes complete sense. And coaches, which I'll I'll pivot to Jay because some of my best athlete or athletic coaches were that those type. They were pushing me to do more, not necessarily to do a specific thing. So Jay, does mentorship, I'm sure, works its way into your coaching style, just knowing what I know about you. Yeah, totally. I mean, the the approach of of you know helping other people to trip over the truth, essentially, mm-hmm. and it is through questions. Um, and it, that goes all the way. I mean, it's interesting. I'm going through a process right now of getting certified in um, in athletic coaching for soccer as well, because I'm trying to coach my daughters, um, like you know, travel teams, and you need to have certain certifications. And and that's U.S. Soccer Association's um, whole methodology as well with kids is like you know, you're not, you're not telling, you're not directing them what to do. You're, you're asking them questions. You want them to solve the problems. Um, you want to kind of maybe guide them in certain right directions, but it's not about dictating. It's about, um, helping them to discover the right answer for themselves and their own style of play. And I think that the same thing is true in, in business coaching for lawyers and, and elsewhere. And I would say too, and I know Jonah, this is a big area of focus for you is um, same thing with like providing feedback, which I guess is a, a on a project, which is a form of mentorship, but like on legal writing, I mean, it's the ability to help people to understand for themselves what those issues are. It's going to stick to a much greater extent, lead to more aha moments than just like telling them what to do. Right. Yeah. But it's hard. Like, I don't want to like make it sound like it almost makes it sound easy. It's so much harder to tell a person what they should think about than to just Mm -hmm. tell them what you would do in that situation. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly right. When I'm giving written feedback, I'm telling people, I don't want you to sound like me. Like, I don't want you to leave Perlin's class and be like, oh, I write a legal brief like Jonah Perlin does. I want them to write a legal brief, like whatever their name is. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I need to facilitate that. And that is messier and more time consuming and has a lot more potential pitfalls, but it's totally worth it on the back end, at least in my view. Yep, absolutely. Um, All right. So we're we're probably getting ready to wrap up up here in a minute. I do want to circle back to the podcast for for one second, because there was one one issue we we didn't get to that I wanted to cover, which was in addition to 100 episodes, you're also now, you know, you've hit the big time and you're starting, (laughs) you've now got your first sponsor for the show. Um, So I'm just, you know, again, this is, I'm like asking all these questions for myself, uh, because it's, I'm curious about these things. But um, I guess what uh, what led to that? Uh, how are you thinking sure. in terms of the future? I mean, obviously, I know there's certain costs associated with running a podcast. Uh, monetization is always kind of one of those things that us creators are thinking about. So, how do you, how are you been thinking about this? Yeah, it's it's a great question. It's one I've been thinking about, frankly, for a long time. 
I'm lucky. I have a day job that I love that allows me the creative space and time to also have this project that is both my own, but also sort of part and parcel of what I do in my day job. So the goal was not to monetize because I'm lucky enough that that's not how I'm going to like keep my lights on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are costs associated with running a podcast. And frankly, what I've come up against is there are costs of running a podcast better. There are things I want to do that if I chose to do them, it would make me say no to things that in my professional life and in my personal life, I want, and in some cases need to say yes to. And so I feel like I've sort of reached the most automated version of the podcast. The, I, I'm doing everything I can. I can't do anymore. And so what I was thinking sort of over the last six months was the only way to do this next is to make the podcast sort of a self-sustaining financial entity. I am far from that. If anybody's listening and wants to make me self-sustaining, my DMs are open. But <laughs> socializing myself to ha- what that looks like, because everything takes time uh, and money, uh, takes time and money to make time and money, um, and also socialize my listeners to it and socialize sort of, I don't want my listeners to think, oh, he's totally selling out. Um, I was concerned about that. Frankly, that has not been a problem at all. My listeners are sort of like, why haven't you been doing this before? If it lets you do more things, do it. And so I went out and thankfully I had somebody basically come to me and say, I want to sponsor the show for a couple of weeks. So I'm doing sort of a test run there. Um, and I have a great relationship with my editor, Law Pods, who's been a sponsor for a year. We just haven't exchanged any money. I promote their work because I think they're an amazing team. And I love Rob, who runs the company. Uh, and then they edit all my episodes, which was my biggest time sink. So for me, this is an opportunity to be able to like think bigger for the podcast. Uh, potentially, that could be in hiring an intern to help with admin. That could be how can I use the clips from what I'm doing on other forms of social media. Like I've, I know nothing about TikTok, but like that's apparently where there's a lot of discovery. So I'm thinking maybe I'll do that. I don't know. We'll see. But I need a little bit of funds. I mean, it's basically been a self-funded project. Hasn't been an ex- the funds haven't been huge. The time has been much larger than the money, but it should be self-sustaining at this point. So frankly, I'm new at this. Uh, I'm willing to tell you what doesn't work. Uh, I'm, I last year decided to get some merchandise. So if you're interested in How I Lawyer merchandise, howilawyer.com, uh, and I found that it costs me more to keep the store open where people can order t-shirts and mugs and whatnot than, it do, than I'm actually bringing in from that on a monthly basis. I'm keeping it because the true fans want it and I kind of like it and I can get stuff for friends and family to get sort of uh, fundraising, if not fundraising. And (laughs) that's not a way to, to podcast. And frankly, I'm lucky that I don't need this to be my, you know, my everyday, this can be a loss leader for my personal brand and the mentorship that I'm doing and all those things. Awesome. Jay, anything else? I know. The only thing I was going to add to this, and I don't want to start a whole other podcast, but as a marketer, I feel like it makes a lot of sense to have to to market and sponsor and advertise through podcasts because of the depth and intensity of, you know, through which the audience is engaged. It's a long time. This is going to be more than a half hour, right? It's people who are hyper, our podcast, for example, are hyper interested in a very niche topic. So if I wanted attorneys, 
there's way more of them on LinkedIn than there are listening to your podcast. But if I wanted to get in front of engaged attorneys that have a unique interest in either learning how to write better, et cetera, right. I know where to go. It's like, I'll, ne- I'll never get deeper penetration, penetration of that audience than your podcast. And yeah, I agree, Tom. And I'll just add, I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but I'll just add, cause I was thinking about it. And if you go online and you search for like how to monetize a podcast and you start reading things like, and I, this is so not my area, but like CPM or like, Basically, that's how if you want like McDonald's to come on your podcast, you tell them how many people listen to it and they price it based on that. Mm-hmm. My podcast is never going to make it's it's going to take me more time to get sponsors <laughs> than it's going to be worth in that kind of relationship. Instead, you're absolutely right. I want people who really want to talk to my audience and it's my show with my name on it. And so I'm only going to do it if I think it's a good fit for me, my show and my brand. So my first pod, my first podcast sponsor is someone who makes hardware keyboards for lawyers. Like how much more niche can that get? And how perfect is that for an audience that is almost a hundred percent somewhat technologically inclined because they're listening to podcasts, lawyers. And so like, that's the kind of thing that I think I'm looking for. And you're so right that it's, it's not, it's not just like putting up a Facebook ad, right? It's somebody who's literally listening to you while they're washing the dishes and they've found something that's perfect for you. You may choose not to buy it, but at least the ad is like served to the right person. Yep. My point exactly. Jay, I know you got a uh, a LinkedIn post about delayed gratification to write since you just told us it was already written. <laughs> so we should probably let you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I said, Tom, already written, man. Copyright already established. So we're good. I I, I own that thing. Uh, so I'll be watching. Don't worry. If I see delayed gratification in your feed, I'm going to be coming for you. Um, <laughs> it'll go over like a dud anyway. Um, mine, my post that is. But yeah, Jonah, awesome uh, to talk to you again. Um, thank you for coming. I know, I mean, I'll I'll suggest people absolutely go and subscribe to How I Lawyer. Um, I think anywhere you can find podcasts, you'll yep. find Jonah's podcast. Definitely follow Jonah on Twitter uh, and on LinkedIn. Uh, where where else, anywhere else, Jonah, that people should find you or does that kind of cover it? That kind of covers it. Unless you want to read some of my more esoteric academic work, I think uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and uh, howilearn.com are the best places to find me. But And please do reach out. Like If you're interested, I get pitched for guests all the time. Um, I may not be able to interview them, but especially if you're recommending somebody else and you could tell me why you're recommending them. Those are the pitches that I tend to be most interested in. So please do reach out to me uh, in any of those spaces. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again, Jonah. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we'd appreciate it if you'd uh, rate or subscribe to our podcast as well, uh, the Thought Leadership Project. And uh, until next week, I hope you have a great week and we'll see you then. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.